Welcome to the Immigrant Finance Podcast, a show dedicated to everything money, online business, and immigration, because immigrant families deserve to build generational wealth too. I'm your host, Adina, social entrepreneur, immigration attorney, and financial educator and coach for immigrant families. I created the Immigrant Finance Platform with my husband, Mauricio, who immigrated to the U.S. eight years ago after we struggled through the whole process of trying to figure out finances as an immigrant family alone. We wanted to share what we learned about building wealth with others along the way and created the Immigrant Finance School Group Coaching Program where we teach immigrants and their families like you how to manage their money, get started investing, and build online businesses in just weeks, all with group accountability and support. Our clients have been able to get started investing and develop lifelong plans to build generational wealth regardless of their immigration status, actually launched an online business they've been dreaming of starting for years, bring in enough income to leave a job with a shitty boss, and book up their calendar for the rest of the month just after announcing their new coaching business. I'm coming to you with a new show several times a week with stories about online business lessons, money and mindset insights, and guest interviews to help you become financially empowered. Each episode will switch between personal finance and online business topics. Now let's get to this week's episode. Hi there, this is Adina with Immigrant Finance, and I'm here today with a very special guest, FBJ um, from Immigrants Thrive, and she's going to be sharing her incredible story with us um, and being an entrepreneur and all of that and her wisdom with, with all of you. So thank you so much for being here today on the show. Thank you, Adina. I'm excited to be here because I've seen your wonderful work and it's just an honor to be part of what you're doing. Oh, you're so kind. And uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. And I know we already had like a really great conversation getting to talk all about finance and being an immigrant. So I'm excited yes, to continue did. continue the talk today. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so just to start off, tell us a little bit about your immigrant story or any um, immigrant story of family members that you'd want to share. Um, okay. So for me, I, I moved to the States about three years ago and um, I had established businesses back home in Nigeria my spouse had two, and in fact, because of how, because he had been doing business for much longer than I did, it was really hard for him to come here till date. He spends more time back home, as much as he can, you know, um, than he does here. Um, I used to run a not-for-profit that had to do with um, helping people, Christians in extremist regions where Islamic mm-hmm. extremism was an issue. Um, the popular Boko Haram, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of our work had to do with women. We're trying to tell their stories, um, their experiences in both from their original experiences before and after, but mostly focusing on after the crisis started in Nigeria because the Boko Haram thing just came suddenly out of nowhere, you know. Yeah. So so many people were rendered homeless. And I was writing a book, I was doing a lot of research, I was working with women and children. And obviously, um, on one of our trips, we didn't know we had kind of stepped on 
a lot of tools, you know. Mm. We had spoken with this lady who had been in captivity and we came, did a, an interview. It was going to be part of the book I was going to release. And we don't know how it happened, but by the time we were returning to the capital, because I used to live in Abuja, we experienced some issues and, I mean, like a joke, we started receiving threats, you know. So, yeah, we did think it was a joke, but it escalated to a point where we knew it wasn't safe. So my husband thought my the children and I, since he already had um, a part of his business in the U.S., should move over to the U.S. for a bit. And we thought it was for a bit, for a bit, but it's it just re- came to a level where we had to seek refuge here for a bit, uh, for a while, and ensure that things were safer, calmer, before we returned. So for me, there was not much planning. There was no preparation. I was enjoying wow. my good life. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. So all the challenges of being an immigrant was huge on us because it just it happened in a matter of days we didn't have weeks to plan to prepare you just like just uprooted and you know because you don't have many choices so yeah so that was a major story yeah and that happened three years ago yes okay that's pretty recent Oh, very, very recent. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that um, you're a refugee. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> because my husband had an, a business running here. When we came, we decided to try. We wanted to go with the L one, L two visa. So we're planning. Oh, we're here on vacation. Let. But by the threat, by the time the threat got worse, he was back home. We're here. Yeah. Our lawyers just said, just do this thing. You can't safely return home now. So yeah. You had to take under the refugee status briefly. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, I um, I didn't realize, and I, I don't know if I told you when we spoke last time, but in, in my day job, I'm an immigration lawyer, and um, I work with a lot of refugees and asylum seekers. I've, I've been representing asylum seekers for, like, over 10 years. Yes, um, you mentioned so <laughs> I can only imagine what you've gone through from the yeah. stories I've heard, Um and yeah, wow. Thank you for sharing that with everyone on the show. Thank you. And how has that experience um, shaped, you know, your experience in the U.S.? And and something I want to, that I'm interested in is um, with your platform, you call it Immigrants Thrive. And it, it's it's interesting because I know um, not, not all refugees or asylum seekers identify as immigrants. Like these terms can be kind of political, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, how is how has that affected your experience and how you identify as an immigrant? Yeah, so um I've I'm not I before now I wasn't very much in the I wasn't very informed <laughs> about mm-hmm. immigration issues. I used to think people would just immigrate because they're looking for better opportunities. Greener yeah. pastures. I wasn't looking for a better opportunity. I was having a great life. So it wasn't something I was, my focus, my interest, my work had always been in enterprise development across Africa. So that was my focus because I felt if we can develop Africa enough, we don't need to go anywhere. So, and I focused on the disadvantaged groups, people that are facing certain challenges that didn't even, like people that had been uprooted from their homes. They were now homeless, (laughs) you know. So Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't really part of the conversation. I didn't have any compassion for immigrants i just thought well i know they're looking for a better life i know they should be treated well but why don't we make them comfortable back home mm-hmm. so um what what happened was we're just thrown into this thing right like you're experiencing it firsthand and because we had visited the u.s often before then 
our goal was, okay, well, since we have a business here, maybe we should just use the opportunity to set up. But um, the way things escalated, it just had to be like very sudden. It was, you didn't have time to do a lot, you know, when you're established in a place, it's, it has a lot of emotional impact. And then but what really struck me when I got here was seeing the lives a lot of immigrants lived here. And I did come here at a point in American, the American story where immigrants had already started, had really been, I don't know the word to use, but it was looking, almost being treated like second-class citizens, like they were the problem, like they were taken away from uh, the, maybe those that immigrated earlier, <laughs> you know? Ah. Mm-hmm. So, well, you came during the height of the Trump administration. Exactly. <laughs> what, a time, what a time to arrive in the U.S. Um, My goodness. Yeah, at the end of 2018. So at that point, all the negative rhetorics, all the um, laws that were targeted towards not giving people opportunity, you know, like all the negative negativity, right? Mm-hmm. So and I saw how it impacted immigrants. I saw people struggle, but more than that, I saw how immigrants saw themselves. Right, like, well, we are lucky to be here. We'll take whatever we get. Um, if you're lucky to get a job where you can clock in and out, I mean, I mean, you're fortunate. But you know, I just saw the. I didn't like what I saw, and the mm-hmm. particular encounter with um, a young immigrant man really touched me. Because my husband was still trying to keep his business running in Nigeria. He was in Nigeria more often than not. He felt like, oh, if there's any problem I can manage, I'm, I'm a man, you know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. at that point, I was here with the children by myself. And um, I met this Nigerian young man who, in an Uber, and we became family friends. He was really helpful. He told me his story, um, his immigration story. He had been in the U.S. for about seven years at the time. And he had visited, gone, gone through, through Europe. So he'd had quite a difficult life. But even with the seven years, I felt he had nothing to show for it. So as someone who used to be a business coach, I was like, well, so what are you doing? I tried to get deeper into the story. And his was just the saddest, the challenges he had been through, the struggles he had coming in as a, um, a Nigerian immigrant. Um, he, he got married to an American and it was so challenging. He was homeless for a lot of times because the marriage wasn't going well and his wife would kick him out. <laughs> so he had this story and he was trying to rebuild his life. So I said, well, I'll help you as much as possible. You have um, you have a lot of prospects and you can do your own thing. You don't have to be tied to, you know, whatever your story is. And we kept, I tried helping him set up a business, access to loan. I just kept giving him information like, you, you have rights here, you know, you're contributing to this society. Don't feel like, don't tiptoe around. <laughs> and then the pandemic hit and I didn't lose touch, but I stopped communicating for a while because um, there was this lockdown. So we were silent for a bit. After about six months, I tried to reach my couldn't, about nine months at this point. And then um, a mutual friend sent me a text to say, oh, did you hear this person passed away? Oh, I was so broken because I knew, I knew how hard he had worked. He was on the verge of applying for, um, citizenship. He, he had told me how 
many people were depending on him from back home. His aged father, his sisters, he had two boys, twins. So I just felt I was so entrenched in his story. I, I mean... I broke down, I wept so bad, I mourned. And then after that, I just kicked myself like, you have to do something about it. Because when I got here, because I ran a not-for-profit back home, my my attention always turns towards social entrepreneurship. So even though I, I see many opportunities to just be an entrepreneur and make money, if it's not having social impact, I don't, I'm not excited about it. So I've been thinking, <laughs> yeah. So I've been thinking, how can I do this? What can I make a difference? But I've been pushing it forward. So I just thought, rather than sit back here and mourn, in his honor, I was going to do stuff for immigrants. I'm going to let immigrants know that they do deserve to thrive. They are qualified for the best things that America has to offer. They are contributing their quota and they should hold their heads up high. Wow. That's so incredibly inspiring that you turned that experience into immigrants thrive. So is that really what what triggered you to start the platform? Yes. That was wow. it. I've been thinking, what can I do to help? You know, I'd seen the financial struggles. I'd seen, you know, the career. I see people, I've seen stories of immigrants who are here 30, 40 years and they're afraid to go back home because they don't have much to show for it. Mm. And I, I was a bit, I, I could understand the mentality, the things that, the mindsets that kept them down. And I don't even think, you know, what can I do to change this mindset, to let them know they can produce, they can do more than being tied to a nine to five. So this was a push I needed to just, like, just push me about, like, just do it. I mean, it's just incredible because it's like, not only do you see this bigger picture to help more people after experiencing this person close to you pass away and the tragedy of that but you also were are personally going through the experience having oh, yeah. just moved here a few years ago. And the fact that you're helping others, it, it just says a lot about you. And I think you're such a symbol um, and emblematic of like uh, of, of a refugee, of an immigrant. <laughs> I mean, these very strong, brave people yeah. who, you know, not not everyone escapes. Not everyone has the strength to leave. Yeah. And not everyone yeah. has the strength to, after they leave, create something that can help others. Sure. So you I know, really... That's the thing. You know, that's the thing about life. A lot of the time, all the time really, life offers you options. You have the option to do, if it gives you whatever life brings to you, whether it's oranges, lemon, chocolate you have the option to do with it what you want, right? You can take your story, mourn, be sad, you know, lament what you're losing, how you're, you know, or you can turn it into something that inspires others at every point, no matter what the story is. It, you do have an option. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, and I want to touch on this idea you talked about with, with social entrepreneurship, because I come from a really similar place of you as, um, I'm not interested if there's not a social impact piece. Mm-hmm. I've only my whole life, I've only worked on social um, impact work and mostly in nonprofits. Um, immigrant finance is my my first time exploring this in a business model. And I know you have this very long history of entrepreneurship. So talk to us about how you view social entrepreneurship and making an impact um, through a business model and, and doing it in a way that is profitable. Yeah. 
Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have a belief. I believe that every business has two angles. Your profit, so which makes impact on you, the business owner, your employees, the shareholders or stockholders, whatever it is. But beyond that, the impact on the community, mm-hmm. whether you're into the for profit or purely profitable. And that's something that um, American companies do get. They always think of the social impact. It's not so popular in Nigeria. Most businesses just think, oh, let's just survive. Let's just make this money. Let's just live the good life. And I really try to preach that message there. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so I believe that every every business has a focus to impact your life, definitely, but to impact the community. So if a business is not impacting the community, there's a major thing missing. But mm-hmm. then as social entrepreneurs, we have a special calling. And that is to bring about social change and not in um, the old definition of the not-for-profit sense where you're going around seeking, trying to raise funds or trying to raise money to help other people. It's by creating value, producing impact, creating value that people are happy to pay for, which you now turn to impact the community impact people, impact whatever your target is. But then it brings a value creation um, angle to social work. Definitely. I think you hit the nail right on the head. It, it's all about value. And for me, um, I had um, I had never charged anyone a dollar for anything in my life until... <laughs> until I started um, immigrant finance with my husband and exploring as a business model. And that was very uncomfortable for me. But <laughs> I know. But the thing is I learned a few things. I learned, first of all, that it takes a lot of resources to make an impact. That's yes. something I learned in you know over 15 years of public sector nonprofit work. Like most of what I do in my nonprofit job is is gather resources and apply to grants and raise money. <laughs> you know, it yeah. takes a lot of money to make change. And oh, yes. <laughs> so I realized that. Um, and then I also realized, like, it would help me get my head around it and feel more comfortable is that this idea that money is actually just made up, like, it's just a symbol of value. And so that's why I wanted to comment on that when you talked about how it's about creating value. Oh, yes. That's true. Yeah. That's so and how true. did you learn that in your, your experiences in entrepreneurship? Um, sorry, take the question again. Oh, sorry. Um, how did you how did you learn um how did you come to this point like through your entrepreneur experiences? What what led you to this way of thinking? Yeah, so that's an interesting story. Because when I started my journey in entrepreneurship, first of all, I joined my my husband had um has runs a real estate development business. Mm-hmm. So I started by joining the family business, um, helping him grow it. Um, because I've been had a lot of experience in finance, I helped him with investments and the financial aspect, right? Then I decided to start some ventures on my own. And most of the things I did, right, even when I wrote books, uh, published books, I realized I was giving out a lot very freely. So when I write a book on entrepreneurship, I'll go to schools where students couldn't really appreciate afford it but those were the people i really wanted to help so i either discount it incredibly or give it out for free i was just 
in this space where I I wasn't really just looking for the money. So I thought there was something wrong with me. So I started attending conferences, um, taking courses on how to profit from your passion, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And the coaches would say, you need to charge. Charge what's your worth, you know. They would tell you, if you don't mm-hmm. charge, you're, you're underestimating yourself. But I knew I wasn't underestimating myself. I just had a passion to do this. So after a few years of bumbling through, struggling to <laughs> to charge, I decided to sit down and look inwards and really say, what is it I want to do? How am I different? Because I realized I couldn't copy anybody else. I couldn't um, do as they're doing necessarily. I could learn from them, but I needed to sit back. And it was in the course of my research, I discovered the term, the term called the term called social entrepreneurship. I never knew anything like that existed. When I thought of not for profits, I thought of people like Mother Teresa, who would just do things <laughs> for the poor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that research brought me to the level. I said, Oh, so what I am doing has a name. <laughs> yes. People are ready to yeah. People have been doing this. It's not new. I'm not odd. I don't need to learn to price higher. It's not because of a lack of self-esteem, you know. So yeah, that's how I got to the point where I realized that you can do this. So I started my not-for-profit. I I was blessed to when I did my book launch, I was giving almost I think 80% of the profit. I was giving 20% to reproduce to internally displaced people. So it attracted a few attention. Um, the first lady of Nigeria government, you know, she she sent a representative. And after the event, she said she wants to partner with us to do some things to help us remain sustainable. So, so that mm-hmm. gave us access in the government sector. We got some contracts in millions of Naira that really helped us up our game. Yeah, that's great. Wow. And then how has this um, translated into launching your business in the U.S., Immigrants Thrive. Yeah. So, yeah, because I, I really, you know, knowledge is power. I say to people all the time, what you don't know can really hurt you. We, yeah. we People need to develop an attitude of learning. A lot of the time people think, one of the things I realized today in today's world, digital world, is a lot of people are like, oh, I want to learn, I want to learn. And they would go buy a car, so buy a book, but the question is how much of what you bought are you consuming, right? I hear that the cost consumption rate for courses, completion rather, is less than 70%. So wow. but we need to learn to know that you must learn, you must study. The, the power it gives you, I mean, you cannot measure it. So because I already knew, I'd already walked the path, I already made my mistakes, um, I I was able to hit the ground running. I knew what I wanted to accomplish. I knew that... Um, there are opportunities, there are platforms. So all I need was some strategy to say what's what's the goal? How do you help people but add value enough to still be sustainable? Mm-hmm. So yeah, this was a much easier process because I'd made my mistakes. <laughs> yeah. And and talk about the opportunity um that's available now with online. I mean, really all you need is the internet to get started. Oh yes. Um, you're such an example. You can pick up, leave everything you know, mm-hmm. arrive in a new country and create something on the internet that can make massive impact and help a lot of people. Um, and you've had this experience, you know, your own experiences of, of going through this and, and knowing what's needed and your experience with this young man you mentioned. Yeah. 
um, and, and what he needed. So did that inspire you, um, to create, to create your business and help others? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, that's so, so completely true. I just realized also that our minds are so powerful, Yeah, you know, your outlook, the way you see things, the way you conceive what you believe has so much impact on our lives. It can limit you. It can cause you to soar. It's, it's just so important that, and we are not spending enough time or resources um, trying to either know how to utilize it to maximize <laughs> the use of our minds because it literally determines everything you do, whether you're con- consciously or unconsciously, right? We are taking mm-hmm. steps. We are doing things that, is coming from you know that subconscious part of us. So something is controlling and you don't know what it is. So you literally don't have the power to determine how it goes. Because um moving here was something I could easily have lamented for a long time because I had so many things happening. I I left family behind. My mother still works, my mother is a lecturer. And even when I said, Oh, I'm afraid for you, please come, she's like, No way, I'm not coming. <laughs> I I had my children to worry about, oh, how am I going to raise these three children by myself? Because my husband at first was like, no, I'm not doing it. You know, you guys stay safe. I'll be fine. You know, I'm the man of the house. But he's he's been compelled to spend most of his time here too, just because of the situation surrounding him. And so I had a lot of opportunity to just lament and, you know, but I, I had to make the choice to say, I can use my story, my situation here, because one of the things I really felt moving here was I felt that I had disappointed the people I was working with in in the not-for-profit. I had tons of women whom we had set up in business. We we're going to be supporting, even though the structures are still on ground. I was there in person all the time. So I felt like such a miserable failure. I felt like you feel, oh, this woman let us down. So that really, you know, wow. stuck with me for a bit. But yeah. I just realized that the universe knows what's happening. What it's not, it may be hard for me, but it's not a mistake. And if I'm here at any point, I believe that wherever you are at, right, you are on assignment. You have a goal. You have a mission. And if you're too looking too much to oh this happened to me, that happened to me, you'd never reach the mission because your mission, more, more often than not, is to the outside world. So my experiences in entrepreneurship with not-for-profit impact social as a social entrepreneur, I knew that it was my being here, whatever the circumstance was, um, I'm a Christian, so let me use the word, a divine arrangement, right? To translate those experiences, that knowledge to impact somebody else. Wow. So rather than just coming, oh, looking for a great job, when I come like, oh, you're, you're so smart. You just do, do nursing. You'll make a lot of money. Do, I mean, there's, there's so much advice going on. And I was like, no, I'm just here for a couple of years. Once things smooth out, I'm leaving. <laughs> so the first year, I was just, you know, waiting and waiting for when I'd go back. But the truth is, the sum total of our experiences, good, um, let me never say good or bad, both the ones that seemed negative and positive, the sum total, the knowledge we knowledge we have, they are all part of the next mission and assignment we had. So I just that consciousness made me know that I need to translate this what seemed like an inconvenience, right, 
to what can be a positive and impactful in somebody else's life. So with Immigrants Thrive, it's, it's, uh, we are trying to impart a lot of financial knowledge, get people to know things. But more than that, how do you make create wealth if you're not adding value? So I don't see how you can separate entrepreneurship from creating wealth. So yeah, it's, it's it. yes, it's just trying to roll these things together and get it going. So my experiences have, I think, yeah, there, there, there's, there's some total of me. And if I'm on a mission, then I should be able to use those experiences and those knowledge to carry out the mission I'm on. Wow. So profound. And um, I, I think in a very similar way, I very much believe in the power of the universe. I've been to all the energy mm-hmm. stuff and all of that. I don't talk about that stuff a lot. Um, but it's so true. And the more I learn about business and study business and do coaching on online business myself, um, the more I've learned that 99% of it is mindset. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate you raising this because, you know, a lot of people, you can get caught up in like, oh, what's your business plan? And, you know, what's what's your conversion rate and all these details. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, none of it really is that important. It's like, are you providing value? Are you helping people? And like, what's your mindset? And what's, what is your focus on? Um, so I just, it's so refreshing to hear how clear you are on that. Mm-hmm. And I know you're going to help a lot of people because of that, um, because it's your calling, you know, and you're, you're in touch with it. Yes. That's true. It's very cool. So um, I'd love to hear more about like, what does it mean to you to be building this online business um, as an immigrant, like that connection um, between having gone through it yourself and, and starting this business to help others? Yeah. So um, for me, what drives me every day, what gets me going? Because you know, when you start a business, the challenges are there. Um, especially here in the US, the the need to make income. In Nigeria, I could go three, six months without making income. I'm not under a lot of pressure. Maybe because I have a lot of years of experience there. I have a, I'm established. I've got um, investments. Mm-hmm. It's easier. But here in the US, you know, there's this constant, consistent pressure of to make money because of bills falling due all the time. It's like the summary of the life <laughs> of an American is bills. <laughs> so, so there are times when um, I'm thinking, oh, I should be doing something that is turning in cash right now. You know, I also see that impact is also important. And um, one of the things I had to do when I came is, because I believe that in every industry, in every career, in every country, there are secret codes. <laughs> and only the people that are able to decode, to break the code, can thrive. Those are the mm. ones that can enjoy the environment. Every If you're in an industry, there's a code. If you're not thrive, succeeding yet because you've not broken the code. <laughs> if you're in a country, there are codes. And I realized that in America, it takes two things to succeed. It's either you have a lot of money because it's a capitalist economy, to take advantage of opportunities. So it's either you have a lot of cash, a lot of money, or resources, maybe resources that you can take loan against or whatever. Or maybe just, um, yeah, either a lot of money or access to a lot of money, or you have a lot of knowledge. Mm. Yeah. It is so important what you know in this country. 
And I realized that as immigrants, the same people seem to be, immigrants seem to have disadvantage on both fronts. Not everybody is lucky to come here as already established businesses because we were here and for the first year, we're literally funding our lifestyle from Nigeria. The Nigerian Naira is over 400 Naira to a dollar. So it's very expensive. So if you're, for example, paying rent in the US here for $2,500, that is almost a million Naira in Nigeria. And you're paying it monthly. Wow. Yeah. So immigrants have the disadvantage of, one, you don't have a lot of money. Why? Because you didn't inherit anything here. <laughs> Your parents or grandparents probably are, were, are still back home. Yep. Uh-huh. Or, and so that's a major disadvantage. Some of them didn't even school here. There's so many things that can be a disadvantage for an immigrant. So more often than not, our greatest access is what we know, knowledge we have access to. But the thing is, breaking the code, people are not very generous with knowledge. Nobody's going to come and say that, oh, the way, the way um, even though there's a lot of financial knowledge and stuff going around here, a lot of them are not target specific for immigrants. You know, if you join some financial knowledge, you'll say, oh, student loan. Most immigrants in this school here, they don't have student loan, but they have major financial challenges they are trying to deal with. You know, really? so, yeah. So the only option is to have immigrants helping immigrants with the knowledge that is necessary to scale. Mm-hmm. So I came, I studied, yeah. I did the insurance exam, I did the securities exam. I just wanted to know about every aspect of finance <laughs> in this country. Because I was like, if I don't break this money code, how can I help people? And there are things I learned, you know, for example, I'll give an example of insurance. I always thought life insurance or insurance generally was just to protect your, let's say life insurance, right? Is to protect the people you leave behind, your loved ones. But I came to realize that insurance is like the phone, the mobile phone. When the mobile phone came out, all we could use it for was to make calls and send text messages. But as time has gone back, it has evolved to a point where a mobile phone can do stuff any computer can do, right? There's literally nothing you cannot do with a mobile phone. Yet, there are people that have the latest iPhone, but all they use it for is to make calls and send texts. People like my mother, (laughs) they don't care for anything else. In the same vein, insurance has transformed, developed. It has grown to a point where it has become a tool for generational wealth transfer. But if you're busy thinking about to clock in and clock out, how to survive, how do you go and find out such things? You will mm-hmm. almost never know. So knowledge is a major tool that immigrants can use in this country to get access to resources they never dreamed about that will save them the time because it's like you don't have as much time advantage as people who have been here for generations. So you can go from that disadvantage to major advantages, but you need to, there are certain things you need to know. So if you don't have a lot of money, then you need to know a lot. And that is why communities like ours are really important. Yes. Because we are targeting specific needs that immigrants have and meeting those needs. And I think both of us created our platforms around finances for the immigrant community from our experiences with exactly what you're describing. Like, I'm not an immigrant personally, but my husband is. And mm-hmm. when he came here, we went we went through everything you're going through uh, mm-hmm. that you've gone through of like mm-hmm. trying to figure out and break that knowledge code. Yeah. And there was just nothing out there. There was nothing on how to figure this out. Yeah, for him as an immigrant. Um, and so yeah, I completely agree with you and. Um, it's just very, it's really a pleasure to connect and 
with someone who gets that and who's also working toward providing this inf- access to this information. And it, it's, I hadn't thought of it as breaking a code, but that's totally what it is. Like, that's totally what we're doing oh, yeah. is breaking down the code for people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's like, you don't have your parents or your grandparents to, to keep it to you mm-hmm. like Americans do. True. That's yeah. Okay. Wow. So um, in terms of what you learned with finances in the U.S., what's the number one lesson that you wish you had learned in the beginning of your financial journey? Um, number one lesson. <clears throat> I wish I knew to do more research. I wish I knew how different <laughs> financial, financial um, issues are than anywhere I lived before. I lived in Nigeria. I lived in London. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember this of masters? I was a financial advisor in London. I wish I knew that the, um, the US market is completely different. And I wish I knew that instead of the challenges the United States has with inequality financially, um, in terms of concentration of wealth in the how the billionaires tend to own <laughs> Eighty uh, percent of the whole wealth that the others share. I wish I knew that there are still opportunities, right? When they call America the land of opportunities, it's not just a nickname. It is true. If you know what opportunities to take advantage of, <laughs> you shouldn't be complaining so much. Sometimes I get impatient with people, like, "Oh, they see only the challenges. Oh, this capitalist economy is so bad." I say, "Yes, there are challenges, but there are also opportunities you couldn't get anywhere else." that's so true you know, so if i knew if i started my research earlier the first year I was literally you know the struggle of trying to get settled yeah i was so engrossed in that i didn't start doing research i didn't take advantage of opportunities early enough yeah so the only thing yeah. i can say is i wish i took nike's ad- advice and just started doing it the moment i arrived <laughs> <laughs> wow and to hear you saying that after having been here just about three years <laughs> earlier um, I think that's going to inspire a lot of people um, and yeah I hear you I mean I went through a period a period um, l- when learning about all of the racism and drastic inequality in the U.S. Um, in the U.S. law and the U.S. economy and everything yeah. I got I was in a place where I was like the American dream doesn't exist it doesn't mm-hmm. exist But I've learned, like you said, you know, if, if you can see the opportunities, it's still, it still does. And I've now seen from working with, with several of our clients, like if you make the commitment to figure out it, and as you say, decode the code, Mm -hmm. um, it's there. There's, there's people making good money from their intelligence like on the internet now, um, that we've worked with and it, so I, I, they proved me wrong time and time again. And um, so I think it's that, that navigation that we're talking about of like navigating the system and, and yeah. finding the resources and help to do that. Yes. And determining your focus and making the choice. What do you want to focus on? Is it the challenging? Yes. And then, um, and then making a choice <laughs> with what I've seen, what, what am I choosing to make it a positive impact out of it or just to lament those challenges that exist. Do you have any suggestions for people on how to figure out what their focus should be? Um, yeah. First of all, the first thing I always do, my 
mantra in life is if I see challenges, I see them in two ways. I group my challenges in two ways. First of all, the challenges I can do something about. Then there are the challenges I can do nothing about. Yeah. Yeah. So I would usually focus on those. I can change. I can bring about a change. I can do something about, right? Because I'm not the only social entrepreneur. I'm not the only person looking to bring change, social change to the US. There are lawyers. There are people who have skills, training, and a passion to do those things. So as much as I know how huge um, the injustice is that has to do with um, racism and all that, it's not like that, and I do contribute my parts, I say my part, I don't. I can't do anything. I'm not equipped. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not. That's not my area. That's not what I'm focused on. And because I didn't grow up knowing anything about racism in Nigeria, we don't care. You're white. You're black. It makes no difference to us because we've never seen that kind of oppression. Yeah. Right. So the way I see it is different from the way the person who grew up here in America sees it. So because it wasn't, it didn't make such an impact on me, but I, in Nigeria, I do see the suffering people have suffered because of lack of access to resources. So that is something I'm more passionate about and I have been equipped to do something about. So I do choose my focus based on where my strengths are, based on where my experiences are, based on solution, things I believe I can be part of the solution. So that's my number one rule for focusing. Focus on things you know you can be a solution to. If it's out of your hands, because what you focus on grows, right? So why focus on something you can't do nothing about? Why not focus on this one you can provide a solution to and let that grow? Let that be your focus. And that's how wealthy people think. Oh, yeah. Right there. <laughs> you just summed it up, really. It's, yeah, it's focusing on what you can control and, and turning problems into solutions when oh, yeah. you can. Exactly. Right? <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, PJ. Um, please tell the people where they can find you and follow you online. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Yeah, so you can find us at Immigrants Thrive, the spelling of immigrants, I-M-M-I-G-R-A-N-T-S, Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, immigrantsthrive.com. And also we are very active on um Instagram in terms of just sharing our knowledge and the hardware is at Immigrants Thrive. But the community is a Facebook community, also at Immigrants Thrive. And that's where all the fun things happen, all the practical things, mm. and where we can actually engage and give you solutions that are target specific. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for the wonderful work you're doing. And I really hope to stay in touch and keep um, bringing attention to this issue and I just love the way you think. So we got to, we got to stay in touch. Thank <laughs> Continue you. The combo. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Thank Take care. Thanks for, for your time. Me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Immigrant Finance Show. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already and leave us a review so we can reach more people to help. Also, did you know we started a free Facebook group for immigrant families who want to build generational wealth? We're doing free monthly trainings covering everything from investing to online business. Plus, you will be in there with a network of other inspiring members of our community. Make sure to join us at facebook.com slash groups slash immigrant finance. And we'll see you there.